We're going to be in Psalm 99 this morning, in case you haven't found that yet. I read an article uh, not long ago, and a woman, she shared how uh, she and her husband agreed that they would not watch R-rated movies. And she said that they really came to not regret that. What she found, though, was she found herself being very judgmental of her friends in Christ who did. So she and her husband thought, this was done wonders for us. This is great for us. But, but she was being critical and judgmental, and she would even admit legalistic, because she's like, wow, you know, I am actually, <laughs> I, am, I am judging my friends based on what they watch. And thankfully, the Lord brought her around to see that that was really foolish and that that's not how we judge people based on what they watch. Now, listen, I'm not saying that uh, Christians can and should watch any and everything. What I am saying is, is it's not my place to regulate that. That's something that you work out and work through with the Lord and what might be OK for you is not OK for someone else and vice versa. Here's where I'm going with this. The ultimate fallacy of legalism is that it creates a standard for holiness that is not God's. It's our standard, right? So this is what is right for me, and if it's right for me, it better be right for everybody else, and this is what's wrong for me, and if it's wrong for me, it's got to be wrong for you. Holiness is God's chief attribute. We know that because it is the only trait of God that is given a threefold emphasis in Scripture. And we're going to look at this in much greater detail when we start 1 Peter chapter 1. But because it is God's chief attribute, it is something that every believer in Jesus Christ, it is something that you want to know and understand very well because it has everything to do with who God is and what he is about. So you want to have a biblical, full, mature perspective of holiness. And listen, please listen. You can only watch PG movies and you can abstain from drinking alcohol, and you can dress formerly to church on Sundays, and listen, be as unholy as the scribes and Pharisees were. Absolutely. And that's the truth. God's holiness, listen, God's holiness is so much bigger than our petty rules. So much bigger. And this brings us to Psalm 99. This psalm has been referred to as many as the Sanctus, or the Holy, Holy, Holy Psalm. The reason for that is, we're going to see, is the word holy is the conclusion and the refrain of its three main divisions. So it, it, that's the close of each division. It closes with an emphasis, a focus on the holiness of God. We find the first division in the first three verses of Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name. 
for it is holy. So, what we see throughout this psalm is, is we're going to see some very clear realities about God. And these realities about Him uh, represent for us what our reality about Him ought to be. In other words, what God is going to reveal us about Himself here is how we ought to view Him ourselves. One of the things that irks me is that the world, believers that is, in this Laodicean lukewarm age, they are possessed with making God over. So let's recreate a God that is more tolerable and acceptable to people, so we'll be very selective about what passages of Scripture and what truths about God's Word that we choose to share with people. Because the God of the Bible at times, just to be honest, He is so intense. My goodness, we've got to be careful. We don't want to turn people away. God needs no help with a makeover. He's doing just fine. We need to accept Him as the God of the Bible. So we're going to see who God is, what He has done, and what our response should be to that. We do have an obligation to respond to who God is and what God has done. And all of it is based on the truth that He is holy, holy, holy. And what these traits are going to show us today, these traits are going to show us what it is that, set God, that sets God apart from everyone and everything else. These traits will amplify that. We go back to verse 1. The Lord reigneth. He sitteth between the cherubims. Cherubims were angelic beings who symbolically they guarded the holiness of God. And like them, we too ought to be very preoccupied, very passionate about God's holiness because God always is because He is holy, holy, holy. And so we ought to share that. But our first reality is this. God is king. God is king. That is who he is. Reigneth gives the visual of a king sitting on his throne. That would be very appropriate for our God because that's exactly who he is. He reigns over everything and everyone. He is king. Now, many will point out doctrinally that this psalm points to the millennial rule and reign of Christ, which that is true, but I want to be very careful with that because we can rush to that so very quickly and become dismissive of the fact that historically and practically there is a very critical application here that we got to understand. In other words, what we can do with this is we can punt to say, well, this whole reigning thing, this whole kingship thing, that's a millennial thing. That is true. But it's not just a millennial thing. The Lord reigneth is referring to God himself. And the tense, if you notice, is present. It's not future. The tense here is present. God, listen, was reigning when this psalm was penned, and he is reigning as we all sit here together. That is the application that we can't miss. And with that being true, there were and are to be some proper responses to that. 
What is it, verse 1? Let the people tremble. Let the earth be moved. So what is our response to the fact that God is king? Our response should be that we fear him. God is to be feared. This is what we're getting at with this makeover that Laodicea is determined to run with. Because the God that Laodicea wants to present is a God who is your buddy. He is a God who is your friend. He is an equal. It's an eye-to-eye relationship. That's not true. No, he reigneth. God is king. And he is to be feared. As the king who reigns on the throne over all the earth. Yes, we fear him. Consider Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a mill, voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am, listen, this is God speaking. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. God believes that he is a great king. That is God's assessment of himself. That is what God believes about himself. If I were to ask you, do you believe that God is a great king, I can't imagine anyone in this room would say no. We would all say yes to that. But the reality is, God's people and Malachi did not believe that. Now, they would have told you that they did if you would have asked them, hey, do you believe that Yahweh is a great king? They would have said, oh, absolutely. But they would have been lying. It would have been a right intellectual answer, and that's it. And the reason that we know they were lying is because what they were offering to God was proof that they did not believe that he was a great king. They were giving lip service to offering God their best, but when it came down to it, they kept that for and to themselves. If I can say, the reason that more than a few believers don't tithe and even give beyond that, it's not because they can't afford to. That's not the reason. The reason is that they don't fear God. They don't have a biblical view of him. They don't view him as a great king. Because the reality always has been, is, and always always will be, our giving is always a reflection of how we see God. And so if we don't give God our best, if we don't give sacrificially, the conclusion is simply this, God, you are simply not worth that to me. That's the truth. 
You go, oh, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. No, 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 I will absolutely prove you wrong. You know how I know that? Because there are people who do not tithe, but they will give to GMAC $400 a month. They'll give Time Warner Cable $150 a month. They'll give Sprint or T-Mobile $150 a month. They'll put their kids in every kind of recreation and entertainment that you can possibly give them and then tell God, I'm sorry, I just can't afford to tithe. No. The reason that you willingly give what you give to T-Mobile and you give what you give to your mortgage company is because in your estimation, it's worth that. God isn't. He's not great to you. And when we're talking about fearing God, what we're talking about is possessing a view of him that he possesses himself. In other words, you view God the way that God views himself. That's the fear of God. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 95, 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And we can keep going and going and going. That is how God views himself. The question on the floor for us right now is, is that our view of God? Is that how I view God? Well, the answer to that is determined by how much time you and I spend with him in this book. Because everything God wants you to know about him as it relates to how you are to view and respond to him is contained in the pages of this holy and perfect book. And this will properly shape and frame your perspective of him that he would agree with. Not what the Laodicean church is whispering in your ear about how needy God is and how desperate God is for you to get saved because you complete him. No, that's not true. So, uh, verse 2 of Psalm 99. The Lord is great in Zion and he is high above the people. We know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly Zion. He will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But this second reality that we're looking at right now is that God is great. God is king. God is great. Zion often, as we know, refers to Jerusalem in Scripture, and we're told that God is great in Zion. He's great. That points to God being great amongst his people. And I really want you to get this. Listen, what is often missing in the corporate gatherings of God's people is the greatness of God. The greatness of God. You know, I, I spend, I mean, I, I can't count the hours I spend in meetings 
planning, strategizing, coordinating, it's part of it. Uh, if you have a, a professional job, that's your life too, right? You go from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. And I'm not saying that's unnecessary. I'm just saying it's just a reality, right? We all get that. And it's great, that, and we should. We, Paul said that everything is to be done and decently and in order, right? I, I, I respect that. I get that. But man, can I encourage you? Can I encourage me? Would you be praying regularly that God would be great in our gatherings? I mean, it's great that we can plan, okay, we're going to do this here and do that there, and let's put this here, and let's place that there, and, and let's teach this, and let's make sure we coordinate that. Yeah, I get all of that, but, but God has got to be great. Like, we, it should really be our burden that in the worship that the greatness of God is being magnified. As the Word of God is open, the greatness of God is being magnified. As we are fellowshipping together, the greatness of God is magnified. As we gather in our small groups, we're not just doing that because, well, it's Tuesday, or it's, well, we don't do it on Tuesday, but it's Monday, or it's Thursday, or Friday, whenever you meet, and it's just one of the things on the counter that we do and we show up and our expectations are as low as the ground and no it's God show up God we want you to be great we want your presence and your majesty and your awesomeness God to be felt throughout all of us because he is great we want him to be great amongst us right pray about that that we're not just going through the motions, but that God would be great. So what's our response? Humble ourselves. Verse 2, and he is high above all the people. If we see God as being above us, humility has to be our response, right? <laughs> God, you are above. You're higher than us. It, listen, it is always and only good for you and me to always know our place. God, I'm beneath you. I'm under you, God. You're great. You're awesome. I'm not. God, I humble myself before you. Okay, verse 3. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Here's our third reality. God's name is set apart. God's name is set apart. This is what we get here in verse 3. We're told that God's name is great, it's terrible and it's holy. There is no other name like that. This name is set apart. This word terrible is a massive word that amplifies his name. It's usually translated as fear, but it was also translated a few times, I love it, as reverence or reverend. 
Would you look at Psalm 111, verse 9? He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name. Now, this is just for me. I can't speak for every pastor, and I'm, and I'm not, certainly I'm not attacking any pastor or pastors in particular. I'm just saying that there are some pastors who are okay with being referred to as reverend. I'm not one of them. I, I'm not. That, that's God's name. <laughs> Reverend's not my name. Now, I get, I get the respect factor and all of that, but if you ever buy me a gift or something like that, and it says Reverend Kenny Morgan, I will graciously uh, re- decline or ask you, can, can you, again, I'm just, it is good for me to know that's not my name. Amen? God's name is set apart. Hmm. So what's our response? Praise. Praise. Verse 3. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. We praise God's name because his name is representative of who he is. He is great, he is terrible, and he is holy. That's why we praise his name, because that's who he is. We go to the second division now, watching the clock. Verse 4, the king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. You think God wants you to know that he's holy? Yes, he does. He absolutely does. We saw earlier that God is a great king, and as a king, we see here that his strength is that he loves judgment. Reality four is this, God loves justice. God loves justice. Would you consider Psalm 89 verse 14? I mean, this is a linchpin passage on God's love for justice. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to get worked up and fret over issues of social injustice. We don't have to lose sleep over whether or not the election was fraudulent and stolen. We we don't have to get excited about that. Why? Because our God loves justice. Listen, God cares about justice a million times more than Black Lives Matter does. God cares more about whether or not the election was fraudulent or not, more a hundred million times more than any Democrat or Republican. He loves justice. 
So I don't have to get up tight. I don't have to argue. I don't have to, to, to get on Facebook and launch bombs back and forth. And forget about that. God loves justice. He's got it. Notice verse 4. He establishes equity. That's evenness. God is always about what's fair and right. He executes judgment and righteousness. That will be very evident at the second coming of Christ where the Lord Jesus Christ will set it straight. He'll deal with the Gentile nations for their treatment of Israel and their tribulation. He's going to make everything right. He's going to set Israel right because they're finally going to embrace him as the Messiah. God loves what's right. I think sometimes when we try and take matters into our own hands and whatever we're going to go and do, it's as if, well, God, you don't care, so let me help you out. No, 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 no. God cares more about justice than you will ever care. Even now in this age, he deals with it. God deals with injustice even today. He deals with it in his way and in his time, and he doesn't always let you know, and that's okay. Uh, One of the things that God taught me years ago, and I'm so thankful for it, uh, man, a wise brother in Christ said this to me. He says, I've come to the place, and this was for me, God gave it to him, but it was for me, and this is biblical, by the way. He said, I've come to the place where I'm okay with the fact that God doesn't owe me an explanation on everything. Cool. Uh, David said it this way, I don't concern myself with matters that are too great for me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Listen, I I do know this. I know that our God is all about justice. I know that, so I don't have to fight about it. He's going to make it right. So what's our response? Our response is to exalt and worship him for his righteousness. His righteousness. When it comes to matters of injustice, listen, please do not exalt a political party or a social justice movement. Don't do it. No, here's what you do. Exalt the Lord your God. Why? Because justice and judgment are the habitation of his throne. What does that mean? That means they are fixtures with God. They're fixtures. (laughs) In other words, God's all about it. That's why I don't have to worry about it. That's why I don't have to fight about it. And that moves us to worship him. And that's our response because, listen, I, I, I love to just read and when God just, just through his word, God says, hey, I'm going to show you what I'm like. Let me, let, let, me, let me unpack my traits for you. This is what this psalm is doing. It's phenomenal. And there are so many other places in Scripture where we see it as well. But I just love it because I know that that's true. I know that will never change. I mean, if we're all honest, let's be honest, man. Like, you name your favorite politician or whatever that you're all about, and this person does it right, and this, that, and the other. And then at some point, <laughs> the curtains get pulled back. 
And you realize, oh, he or she was just a human being after all. Yes, but that's never the case with God. You're never going to pull the curtains back and find some scandal or that God was skimming off the top or that God was somehow being uh, unjust. Forget about that. Never. Why? Look at Psalm 92.15. To show that the Lord is upright. He's upright. He's upright. Listen. He is my rock. Listen. And there is no unrighteousness in him. None. None. You're never going to find God on the front page of some newspaper in, in some nasty thing. There is no unrighteousness with him. God is light, and in him is no what? Darkness at all. That's God. So listen, God will only and always deal with us rightly. Why? Because he's holy. God will only deal with us rightly. God is never going to deal with you in a wrong way. You can live a million lives and you will never be able to legitimately accuse God or blame God for anything. Why? Because there is no unrighteousness in him. Listen, God is never, ever wrong. Never. Finally, the third division, verse 6. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Reality 5, God is merciful. God is merciful. He's merciful. That's amazing to consider how holy he is. It's amazing because God is so holy that he has this pure, intense hatred for sin because it's dark and it's contrary to his nature. So the fact that he's merciful, man, that is a trait of God that never tires with me. I think I probably say it to God 10 times a week that I'm so thankful for your mercy. Because the more I discover him in this book, the more I see what's in this dude. I go, wow. 
We'll look at mercy in a greater detail next week, but the psalmist is reflecting here on the fact that God is a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. Uh, faithful men called upon His name, and God answered them. Now, here's what's so very interesting that I find about this. I think all of us would probably admit that, you know, I just don't really pray, pray as I should. My, my, my prayer life, that, that whole pray without ceasing thing, I've got work to do there. Okay, I, I'm with you. I'm in that group too. I, uh, there's always room for me to grow in the area of praying without ceasing. But this psalm, very clearly, is walking us through who God is. He is king. He is great. His name is set apart. He loves justice and he is merciful. Given that, why would we ever struggle with praying like we should? The fact that, wait a minute, the fact that this God, as great as he is, as holy as he is, he's holy, 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 and he has extended me the privilege and the blessing of being able to not just come, but boldly come into his presence. And I find that I'm struggling to do that. That's interesting. Because the closer I get to him, like I said, I, I see me just like you see you. Yet we act as if we're doing him a favor by praying. <laughs> All right, God. All right, yeah, the Holy Spirit's bugging me again about praying, so here I am. Let me say a couple of things. <laughs> as if we're helping him out? God says, no, 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 you don't understand. The privilege is all yours. <laughs> God says, you're not helping me. It is by his mercy that he hears me and answers me. Who am I, who are you, that he is mindful of us? Knowing who God is, let's just be honest. I don't care how special you might think you are, but knowing who God is, listen, I know for a fact I'm not worth two seconds. I'm not worth a second. I'm not worth anything. And that's not some false self-degradation, false email. I'm just, a, no, 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 no. He's holy, 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 and I'm not. Yet he says, come. All right, I'll get around to it. Oh, no. Now, mercy does not exclude discipline for disobedience. Verse 8, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. God's mercy is seen there because while God did chastise, he didn't destroy. That's mercy. <laughs> so what's our response? Exalt and worship him for his mercy. When you worship, listen, it is good for you in the privacy of your home. It is good for you to get prostrate on your face and say, God, thank you for your mercy. I know what I deserve. 
I know what's in me. I know that there's nothing good that dwells in me, but God, I'm thankful for your mercy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship him at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So those five realities give us a very clear picture of who God is, and there are many, many more. But you know what our response to it should be from what we're walking through here? Our response is not to run out and name a bunch of rules for everybody to follow. That's not the response to what we've just looked at here. No, it is to exalt, praise, and worship Him which produces obedience. Let me give you a homework assignment that I think would be very good for you and for me this week. You can take this outline, you can take your Bible, obviously, and get along with God and just worship Him as you walk down the list of these things. Amen? Just you and God pouring your heart out, saying, God, I just want you to hear from me, sir. I'm in total agreement about who you are. God, that's my view of you, and I just want to tell you. I want to thank you. I want to praise you. I want to adore you. I want to bless you. I don't know. Whatever time that is, I want to be a legalist. Whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes or five days, that's between you and the Lord. The key is that you get along with Him and do it. Lord, I want to thank you for Psalm 99. I want to thank you for the things that you have been sharing with me and showing me about it. God, thank you for being faithful to inspire and preserve this holy book that gives us a perfect view of you. And God, I just ask that your, that that view would become our view. In Jesus' name, amen.